And we are going to be over in uh, continuing in Mark's Gospel. We've been in Mark's Gospel. We're going to be looking at another miracle here in the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to be over in chapter 8. We're going to start in the middle of the chapter, work our way back to the beginning, and then go back to the end. Warning you about that ahead of time. We're bouncing around a little bit, but I think we'll help you to make some sense out of this a little bit more because this is the only story we have in the Bible where Jesus has to lay hands on someone twice. Only time we see it. And it's also the only time we see Jesus say, how you doing? He doesn't ask that of other people. But he asks this guy, what do you see? Did it work? Are you seeing, are you seeing things? So a couple of very unusual things in this story. Last week we were looking at the deaf man at the Coppolis. That he was, uh, begging. So the people came begging. But we saw that Jesus was able to move her from a place of begging over to igniting. And we looked at the principles that are involved in getting us to ignite our faith. And not just to be around begging God. That if we get into the begging mode, that begging has your hope set in a different location. And it's not Bible hope. As soon as we get into begging, our hope is off. If our hope is off, our faith is off. It's not the right kind of faith we're using, and the faith is not on target. That's why we're not seeing a lot of things that we, we need, because we slip into that area of begging. Oh God, please do this for me. Oh God, if you just get this one thing for, of just maybe half of this, that would be great. And we start to beg instead of looking at what we can get on faith. Your faith works on Bible hope. The enemy knows this, so he has to get your hope altered. I heard another noise before that too, and I'm not sure why, because everything seems to be... Okay, we're here. Let me just move it around and see if uh, we can free it up any. All right, let's see how that does. If the devil can get your hope off, if he can get you into something other than biblical hope, then he will have to also get you into something other than biblical faith. We still think we're there, but we're not. And we apply the principles that we learn in faith, but we're not using Bible faith. We're not using the God kind of faith, and that's why it doesn't work. So that was last week. We were looking at that. We ended up looking at what brings us to a place and keeps us obedient to Jesus' commands. We gave you four. If you want to go back over that, you can go there and... Last week, we want to get over what we have here. We're going to come over here to verse 22. That's where we're going to start out. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Then he came to Bethsaida. Now before, we had, he had just been over there in the region of Tyre and Sidon, came back over to the region of Decapolis. That's on the, the southeast side of the, uh, of the Sea of Galilee. He's now moving up a little bit to the north. This area of Bethsaida is on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, right where the Jordan comes into the sea and right to the east of that. You can get a picture on where that would be. That's where he is. And it says when he came to Bethsaida. Now, if you want the actual real pronunciation, it is pronounced Bethsaida. There's a particular Greek diphthong there, which just means it's a word for two vowels when they come together. When those two particular vowels come together, they are pronounced like an, uh, uh, in a way like an aisle. An aisle between the, like an aisle right down in here. Aisle. You get that sound in there. So it's actually Bethsaida. Most people are used to it being Bethsaida. I don't care which one you use. I may interchange and use the real one. 
But uh, you, if you look at it spelled in English, it looks like Bethsaida. But if you look at it spelled in the Greek, it doesn't. But that may not make any sense to you. So this is where they are anyway. They came to Beth- Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So we're back into the begging. This is really the next story that we have recorded. It may not be the next healing miracle, but it's the next one we have recorded. Mark chapter 7 was right before this. Mark chapter 8. We were leaving that area, coming over here to the area of Bethsaida. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Well, I'll spend a little bit of a time unpacking these things here. Now their faith was in Jesus touching them. That's what they said. You just come over here and touch him. They just begged him. Please touch him. Please touch him. So Jesus leads him out of the town. Now, Mark calls this a town. Luke refers to it as a city when he comes to Bethsaida. What happened with Bethsaida was it was really nothing more than a village until Rome took over. When Rome took over, this place became a lot more prominent. What happened in this particular region, Herod Philip, is the one who's ruling over this. And in order to honor Caesar Augustus, he took the uh, the name of the city and he called it Bethsaida still, but he put the name on it. Um, I want to make sure I got it, got it right. Bethsaida Julius. After the Caesar's uh, daughter, Julia. So he wanted to, to honor her, so he put that name on it. He also built it up a little bit. The name itself means fishing house or house of fish, so you can guess what they did there. Right there on the Sea of Galilee. This is where they had, had come from. Now, Herod, Herod Philip, this is, uh, this city is on the route to get up to Caesarea Philippi. And if you look ahead, you're gonna find out, or well, we're gonna get there in a little bit, that Jesus goes from here to Caesarea Philippi, so he goes on that road. This is where Herod, Herod Philip lives. This is where he rules from, over in Caesarea Philippi. So this town is fairly close to him, and he wanted to build it up and then honor Caesar Augustus with his daughters, putting his daughter's name in there. Now he takes him out of the town, or takes him out of the city, whatever, however you want to refer to it. It's interesting that he does that. He does not say he takes them away from the multitude. Last time we looked at it, and Jesus took him away from the multitude. And we know that Peter was there, maybe some other ones were there. But at least Peter was there because of the details we have on what had occurred there. On this one, it doesn't say he took him away from the multitude. He took him out of the town. Now, you may remember there was a verse of Scripture in Matthew chapter 11. I'll give it to you if you want to go back and read it. We're not going to read it right now. But in Matthew 11, 21 through 24, do you remember the verse that Jesus said? Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For in the mighty works that were done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. He then went on to condemn Capernaum. And these three cities are all kind of in the same neck of the woods there. He condemned them. Did that have anything to do with Jesus taking them out of the town? Don't know. We're not really given a reason why he was taken out of the town. But what we do know is that at least Peter was with Jesus when this happened because it's once again Mark's gospel it's the only one that records this miracle and we are given details in this miracle that you had to be there to see. And so Peter was there. He relates this over to Mark. Mark writes it down. No one else seems to have recorded this. Doesn't mean that they weren't there. 
They didn't record a number of things that they were not there for. But on this one, this one he does. And so it says that he, let's, let's read the verse again. They begged him to touch him. So he, he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Now, I picture this. When you're leading the guy out of the town, it's not just a walk, you know, a 20-yard walk. You got to go through the town and then out of the town. It can take a little while. If you were going to be walking for anybody for more than five minutes and there's no conversation, how many think that would feel awkward? More than likely, when Jesus took him by the hand and led him out of the town, how many believe that Jesus is talking to him? I think Jesus is talking. He's a very personal guy. He's talking to him. He may be asking him some things, you know, uh, what happened that you became blind? Because he was not born this way. We know this from the story. He was not born blind. He became blind. He may be asking him some questions about that. He may be trying to do some things to set him at ease and get him in a place where he's ready to receive. Maybe he's teaching them some faith principles. Maybe he's just finding out where he's at on this, who the people were that brought him, who the people were that were begging, doing all this. We don't know what went on, but something probably went on. There was some kind of conversation that was happening there. So he leads him out of the town, and then once he gets him out of the town, take a look at what he does here. So he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes... How do you do that? Now, last week, he spit on his hand and then touched his tongue. All right, nobody liked that, right? But that's a whole lot better than somebody spitting on your eyes, isn't it? I mean, how do you do that? You get in front of them. You work up some spit. (laughs) I mean, you have to work up some spit, don't you? It's not just there. (laughs) He has to work up some spit, and then he's got to fire it at him. What if he miss? Well, you got to do it again. I don't know if he missed. He didn't record that, but he spit on him. What, what is all this stuff with the spitting? Why are we spitting on the eyes now? Well, there's a couple of reasons for this. Um, one of the reasons, I don't know that this is the reason for it, but if you cut your finger, what's the first thing you do? Don't you put it in your mouth? Yeah. Why do we do that? Is there any healing properties there? I don't know of any. One of the things that can happen with, a, with blind people, especially if they've been blind for a while, is the eyelids can stick together. They can stick to the eyes. And so by spitting on the eyes, he may be taking care of a very natural thing, just getting them unstuck. And when he touched his eyes, he could be taking the spit and rubbing them in, getting the eyelids loosened from the eyeballs. Could very well be that way. Uh, that's not my opinion. That's something that was uh, medically written about it. It is uh, possible. We're not told why. So we have to kind of guess as to what it is, but I don't know. He was blind, so he didn't know this was coming. <laughs> the other guy at least knew it was coming. This guy, he didn't know it was coming, and he just spit, spit on his eyes. How many of you, if somebody spits on your eyes, that you're, you've had a little conversation with them going out of the town, and then he just hauls off and spits in your eyes? How many are saying, yo! <laughs> and just disrupting the whole meeting. Oh. But when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, He asked if he saw anything. Jesus doesn't do this. He doesn't say, hey, is the fever gone? Do you feel better? He doesn't ask these things. But here he asks, does he, do you see anything? 
He's asking him that. Now, we all know there's nothing in the Word of God that's by accident. I look at the Word of God that everything that is written is for me to learn from. So I have to study it. I have to find out. There's got to be a reason why Jesus says, do you see anything? He didn't ask if the eyes are working. He asked if you saw anything. And he looked up and he said, I see men walking like trees. Well, let's take a look at this. This word saw here is, uh, it comes from the Greek word blepo. There is no way we found to yet to abbreviate that or to, to associate that. You just have to have to know blepo means to see. There's a number of different words you can use for this. But in this particular passage, we have several words that are interpreted see or something along those lines. And this can help us to understand some of the passage. So let me read it to you this way. And he asked if he saw anything. That is the Greek word blepo to see. I believe, then I put it out in your outline, the, uh, the definition for that. Pretty sure I, I meant to, but there it is. See is to notice, watch, beware, beware of, look toward, perceive, or behold. So there's a number of meanings you can get from this. And he says, did you see anything? Now we're talking about vision here, so we know that what he's asking is in the area of vision. Do you see anything? We're not talking about perception. We're not talking about beware of. Do you see anything? And he answers that question. But when he, and he looked up. The word there for looked up is a derivative of the word blepo. It is the word anablepo. And it means, there are basically two meanings for this. To look up or to receive healing. Whenever someone is said to receive healing, it is always the word anablepo. Ana is just a directional word. It's just a directional prefix they put in front meaning up. But sometimes it would be to look up. When Jesus looks up into heaven, that's the word anablepo. He's not just looking, he is looking up. This guy is not, we're not asking him to look to heaven, we're asking him to look up. Sometimes, maybe the blind people, they're looking down a lot of times, we don't have to necessarily look out to see things, but no, I want you to look out, I want you to look up, I want you to, to see out there and tell me what you see. So he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. I see men like trees walking. Men don't walk like trees. Men don't look like trees. This man knew what a tree looked like. He also knows what a man looks like. The only way he can know that is if he was not born blind. He had to have been able to see. He saw before, he knows what a tree looks like. He knows what a man looks like. He's now looking and he says, I see men like trees walking. Well, he knows that's not right because men don't look like trees. Trees look like trees. Men look like men. And trees don't walk. So what he's saying is, I'm seeing some things, but I know that's not right. It's not clear. It's not, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And he's telling Jesus this very much. So Jesus understands, all right, we're seeing, but we're not seeing right. We're not seeing clearly. Well, we got a partial healing going on here. Now, there's a lot of people who take this 
story to say, oh, see a partial healing. You can sometimes come up front and get healed and only get part of the way healed and later on come up and get something else healed. They're making a doctrine out of it. There's no place in Scripture that teaches us that. There's no place in Scripture that it's ever done before. Way back when we were telling you that the way to not be misled in the area of Scripture, that one of the ways was don't let it become isolated. Don't isol- Don't let something be isolated. It's just here in Scripture. And let's take out whatever doctrine we want. If it's nowhere else in Scripture, that's not the doctrine we ought to be taken out. Whatever doctrine we are to take out from this story is supported other places in Scripture. Whatever I'm supposed to understand. Whyever this story is here, there's a reason why this story is here. There's a reason why it didn't completely work on the first time. But it has to agree with other places in Scripture. If I come up with any interpretation and throw it out to you and there's no other place where it backs it up, that's not right. That's not good. We're, we're not supposed to be going over there. So if anybody in the past has ever taught you anything from this passage of Scripture and it's not supported anywhere else, I don't know who they are. I don't care who they are. They're wrong. It is not possible for anything in the Bible that you are supposed to change your doctrine on that is only in one place. It will be repeated. There are some things that are just in one place. It's just telling you this is how it happened. But we don't shape our lives around it. Some people want to shape their lives around this, how they uh, minister healing, how they expect healing to come from this story because of the way this man received healing. By the time we get done, I don't think you have any doubt as to what this is here for. Now this word, anablepo, it's, it's very often interpreted or translated recovery of sight. You remember that verse of Scripture that Jesus likes to read all the time whenever he goes into a synagogue? Luke chapter 4, verse 18, it, he actually puts it in there. But it's a quote from Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Guess what word is used in Luke chapter 4? Anna blepo. When this verse is translated into Septuagint, that's just a big word that says the Greek, tra- the Greek version of the Old Testament. If you ever see Septuagint, or if you ever look in your margins, your Bibles, anybody ever seen the three letters, Roman letters, L-X-X? If you ever see that in the side of your margins, all that means is Septuagint. They just abbreviated that way. I don't know why they abbreviated that way. That's just how it is. They abbreviated that way. So if you ever see L-X-X, that means Septuagint. It's coming from the Greek translation. The reason they go to that, let's take a look at what people who were more in tune with the Greek language than we are, how did they take this Hebrew word and what Greek word did they use for it? And so when you go back to Isaiah and it says recovery of sight to the blind, in the Septuagint, guess what word they used? Anna, blepo. Because this word means to look up, to look up to heaven, or... To receive sight. Recovery of sight. That's what this word means. And so that's what Jesus is is, uh, speaking about here. What he is saying to him. And he looked up and he said, I see, blepo. This is what I am seeing. This is what, let me describe what it is that I'm seeing. I see men like trees walking. So he hasn't quite received his full sight yet. He's still only seeing this part of the way. Remember uh, Acts chapter 9? Paul became blinded by the light and Ananias was sent to him that he would receive his sight. Guess what word? 
anablato. That's what that word is, is meaning. All right, let's go on here. We've got more to cover. Then he put his hands on his eyes again. Again means... Again. It means I did it once, and now I'm going to do the same thing again. So the first time Jesus laid hands on them, he received some kind of sight, but he didn't receive the full sight. He's not seeing clearly. He is seeing. He is not seeing clearly. And that's going to come out very clearly as we keep going on. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. All right, I'm going to have to wait till the videotape on this. I don't know. What do you, how do you make somebody look up? How do you make him look up? I don't know. He's got his hands on his eyes. Does he take his head and, and just move it? I want you to look this direction. I'm not sure what it is. But um, it's either that or he made him to receive his healing. <laughs> either way, it's going to be one of those. That's what this word means. It means two things. And he made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. No spitting this time. Well, if the spit was just to loosen the eyelids, we don't have to do it again. But the laying on the hands was for the healing. And he laid his hands on him again. So it says that he was restored and saw, his eyesight was restored and saw. But this word for saw is a little bit of a different word. This word for saw is an blepo. You put the end. Now, if you want to, if you really want to dig on this one, and you want to go out there and grab your Greek manuscript, how many folks have Greek manuscripts at home laying around? <laughs> you actually have ways that you, as an English person, could actually look at the Greek manuscript. If anyone is ever interested in that, let me know. There are things that you can do that you can look at if you ever want to. But if you look this up, I already did. I saw it in the actual Greek. It's not spelled en blepo. It's spelled a little bit differently. They actually substitute the N for M, and it's just a, a way that they uh, change the text, the mood, all this sort of stuff. Sometimes the letters change. But it is coming from this, this Greek root word, en blepo. En blepo means to turn one's eye on, to look at or to focus on. It means to look at something in particular. Let me read to you a couple of the verses where this word is used. You'll get a feel for this and what's going on here. Matthew 6, 26. I'm not reading the entire verse. I'm just reading parts of it for you. You will remember these verses. He says, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap. Remember Jesus talking about that? We, we're seeing the birds, but right now I want you to focus on the birds. Look at the birds. That's what, it, that's what this word is seeing. I don't want you just to see... I want you to enblepo. I want you to focus on something. I want you to enblepo the word, the, the birds. That's what I want you to see. Mark chapter 14, verse 16, or 67. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth. Remember that episode. Jesus is trying to follow, or Peter's trying to follow close behind. And the servant girl suddenly focuses on Peter. We're seeing the crowd of people that are out here, but all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute. Have you ever been in a crowd? whole bunch of people. You see all the people, but then all of a sudden, oh, I know them. Your focus comes upon one person. That's what happened with this woman. 
She was the servant girl. She was in the, in the courtyard, seeing everybody, but then all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute, I know you. You're with him. I've seen you with him. Luke 22 and 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter after he denied him. Remember that? He's in the courtyard and Jesus just turns around and he looks right at him. John 1, 36. And looking at Jesus as he walked, this is John the Baptist, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. He focused on Jesus. This is what this word envelope means. It's not just the art, the, the act of seeing. It is the act of seeing, but focusing on something in particular. Someone or something in particular. That's what this word is talking about. And so when we see it here, used in this verse, and he was restored and saw. In other words, before I'm seeing men like trees, now I'm focused on, oh, that's a person. I can see. That's a per- That's a tree. That's a person. That one's walking. He's focusing on each one and he's seeing them individually. I'm not seeing just men walking like trees or men walking and they look like trees. We're seeing something different. He says, and he was restored and saw and blepo everyone clearly. Now here, this one's, this one's fun. I hope I make Greek fun for you. I hope you enjoy. I love this language. I would just focus myself. I would be in it all the time. It is just such a great language. And especially when all I ever had to compare it to is English. It is really a great language in this. But here, in this one, it depends on what manuscript you use. The manuscript that I use, that I like, is the one that is used by the King James, the New King James, the New American Standard, ones like that. It's called the majority text. If you're ever looking at your margins of your Bible and you see an M, M reads or M says or M has, anything like that, M means majority text. If you ever see NU, how many have ever seen an NU as an abbreviation in the margins of your Bible? That means Nestles. Nestles is another text. The two main texts that we have of the Greek for the New Testament is the majority text and the Nestles text. If you want to give you a little, I've done this before, some of you already know what this is. The majority text, what they do is they take all the text documents that we have and they take what the majority of them have, they use that word. If there's any difference in them, they use whatever the majority has. So if they have, I'm just throwing out numbers to you. If they have 300 texts and 298 use this particular word, then they use that particular word. They use whatever the majority has. The Nestle text doesn't do that. The Nestle's text believes that the oldest is the best. And so they go back to the Dead Sea Scrolls. Have you ever heard of those? They go back to the Dead Sea Scrolls because they predate most of the other manuscripts we have. Those are the oldest. And so whatever is in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they throw out all the other stuff in the text and they just use what is in those. So that's why you have the Nestle's text and the majority text. The Nestle's text comes from one set of scrolls and I've, uh, I think on a Wednesday night we spent some time on that particular group of people that had those scrolls. They had a lot of bias about Scripture. And in the writings that they had, they did seem to change some of the Scripture. They did change some of the wording. And so that's why I don't like the Nestle's text. You want to tell me Nestle's has it, majority doesn't? I throw Nestle's out faster than you can blink an eye. I don't like the Nestle's text. I don't like the Dead Sea Scrolls because of the influence that was there. 
I could spend time on it again. There was a Wednesday night. We spent a whole lot of time on this. I forget, oh, when we were going over the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes and the roles of each one then. One of the Wednesdays in Ezra. We were going over that when we were going over that, that series. That was there. If you're interested in that, I can go find it and, uh, and help you to, to look at that. But anyway, those are the two texts. I like the majority text. It's one of the reasons why I like the, the New King James, the uh, uh, New American Standard I like. Now, you all know what versions I don't like. The NIV, yeah. Guess what? Guess what manuscript NIV uses? The Nestles, exactly. Which is why there are a lot of differences between the two. That's where it comes from. So, there is some factual things involved in my bias against the NIV and, and other ones. There's a whole lot. Most of the modern translations that they have, they all go back to the Nestles text. Uh, I like the ones that stay with the majority text and, and go with that. So anyway. We have that. But when we get to this particular verse of Scripture, Mark chapter 8 and verse 25, when we get to this spot here, when it says that everyone, that he saw everyone clearly, that word there clearly, there are two words that are used for this one. And it depends on which text that you use. If you go back to the majority text, the word that is here is the Greek word, Telegos. If you go to the Nestle's text, the word is Diablepo. So I did a, a deep dive into both of these words, and I, they, these words are not, outside of this particular one, the majority text never uses this, this uh, word again. Never uses it. This is the only time that is there. Diablepo is used in two other places beside this one. The Nestle's text will pick this one up but it's used in two other places beside that, so we get a little bit of an idea. So I did as much of a deep dive on this as I could, and I came up with this. Diablepo means to see things clearly, okay? The other word means to see things clearly. They mean the same thing. I'm not sure. That's one of the few times I run into the Greek where you got two different words and they're really meaning the same thing. But that's what it what it was there. Diablepo is used in a few other places in Scripture, and um, it does. Uh, Matthew seven five was one. You all know this one. It's actually used in two different places for the same reference. Matthew seven verse five. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly. There it is. That is Diablepo. But Telagos seems to mean exactly the same thing, but there's very little I was able to dig up on this one just because it's really not used in Scripture. And that's where most of the things I have taken from. So anyway, we are pretty sure, though, that the meaning here is that he saw everyone clearly. I don't even think you need to dive into the Greek word to understand and know that what he is saying is, I now see people clearly. I didn't see people clearly. Now I do. We can get that meaning out of it, right? That's not too hard to, to come up with. He was restored and he saw everything clearly. Before it wasn't clear. Men looked like trees. But now it, now it doesn't. Verse 26. Then he sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Town referring to Bethsaida. What this tells us here is this. And it doesn't really make any difference for the story. <laughs> but it tells us this. 
This man does not live in Bethsaida. Because if Jesus says, don't go into the town, but he does tell him to go home, that means his home is not in the town. It's somewhere else. And he says, go home and don't tell anybody. And this guy listened to him. He went home and he didn't tell anybody. <laughs> Isn't that great? Jesus doesn't seem to want the publicity yet. We got to get in there. We got to teach them first. They have a greater need to hear the word than they do to see the miracles. We want them to hear the word more so. If they start seeing miracles, then they're going to be, you know, focusing on that. Now, I wonder about this. This is one thing I've, I've wondered about. I may be the only person who wonders this. I don't know, but I, I, you know, I put myself in these situations. I try and think about these things. Bethsaida, along with Chorazin and along with Capernaum, they were cities that did not believe in Jesus. In fact, Capernaum, remember, they shut down how many miracles he could do because of their unbelief that was there. He cursed, uh, not really cursed, but he condemned Bethsaida, Chorazin, for their uh, refusal to believe. What if they brought this man to Jesus because they saw it as a tough case and they thought, perhaps we will stop him from being able to, he won't be able to heal him and we can expose him as a fraud. There's some reason why he takes him out of the town. But he takes him out of the town and then that's when we're talking about all this thing. So, here's the question. Why does Jesus have to do this twice? I go under the assumption that anything that is in Scripture, if we can ask the question for it, then it's a valid spiritual question, there's answers for it. Well, for the most part, context is always key. You always got to look at the context for what something is, is said. If you really want to understand what a verse means, understand the context. We were looking at that on Wednesday night. How many, uh, how many did not tune in on Wednesday night yet? All right. If you didn't tune in on Wednesday night, how many like that verse of scripture that says, the joy of the Lord is your strength? How many have ever quoted, the joy of the Lord is my strength? Yeah, we always do that. Except Ezra does say this and it's a wonderful thing that he says, but it's only half the truth. Most times we focus on half the truth. And if you go back to the scripture and you look at the full truth, you understand I may not have been doing what he said to do. And that is why the joy of the Lord is not my strength. Because I've only done half the truth he taught. Context is everything. You've got to look at something in the context in order to understand. I'm not giving you what the context is. You've got to go back to the Wednesday night one and you can check it out there. It's on YouTube. It's on the podcast. It's on uh, Facebook. It's all kinds of places. You can go out there and you can check it out. But let's take a look at verse 13. Verse 13 through 21. It's going to come right before this story. This is what happens, what Mark is relaying, right before this story that we were in. And he left them and getting into the boat, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. This is the, They had the feeding of the um, 4,000, I think it was, before. Before this story, in the beginning part of, uh, of Matthew, I'm uh, sorry, Mark chapter 8. So they're, le- they're leaving them and they're moving on. And Jesus says to the disciples, He speaks to the disciples. The f- disciples had forgotten to take in bread. They should have taken bread. There's no wawa. There's no quick trip. There's no place they can stop and pick up some bread. And they forgot to bring it. Verse 15, then He charged them saying, take heed Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So he's giving them a warning. Now, 
since you've already had a little bit of a Greek lesson, let's see if you can retain how much of it you might retain. What do you think the word here for beware is? Blepo. Blepo. Because one of the meanings you can have from it is beware. So this word beware comes from the word blepo. Now in classical Greek, blepo refers to the physical act of seeing, but in the New Testament, I was holding this off until now, in the New Testament, and a few times in the Septuagint, it begins to develop an additional meaning. This is not something that picked up in classical Greek. This is something that the New Testament writers were adding, and the people who wrote the Septuagint began to add it. It meant to be careful, beware, as well as the perception of spiritual things, revelation received, and what we see through the eyes of faith. These are all things that the New Testament writers added to this. Some of this we see in the Septuagint. But when we get to the New Testament writers, they're using blepo in a way for what you see spiritually, not just what you see physically. They're using blepo in such a way as what you have seen in the Spirit, what you see through the eyes of faith. What I see through the eyes, it's not for my natural eyes, but the eyes of faith see this. And blepo is used in this area. So it became very common for the New Testament writers to use it in this particular way. So he says, take heed, beware, blepo. This is a New Testament use of this word. And Jesus is speaking, Jesus is saying it, he is adopting this viewpoint of this word. Some other places you'll see this. Mark chapter 4, verse 24. Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. Guess what word here is? It's blepo. Well, I thought blepo means to see. Yes, but we've added this meaning of to see things spiritually, which means you can hear it in your spirit and pick it up and perceive it. So that word that's translated here is actually the Greek word blepo. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you and you will hear more will be given. Romans eleven seven through 10. Paul is teaching using this word. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it and rest, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, blepo. Eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. He's talking about spiritual, spiritually not seeing something. And David says, verses verse 9, Let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see. Blepo. We're not talking physical sight. We're talking about spiritual sight. And bow down their back always. So we studied that word blepo out in the miracle of how, how it went, how it was used in different ways, different prefixes put on. Here, in this verses before, we're seeing also the word blepo used in this New Testament way of using the word, which is spiritual perception. Spiritual perception. Jesus is telling them one thing. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees, right? And they heard, well, it's because we didn't take bread. So they heard what Jesus said, but they saw, perceived, 
something different than what he meant. Isn't that what happened? Jesus said he's expecting them to see it as he's putting it out. But it didn't happen. Now we're gonna, we were gonna have more of the kids in here today. So, uh, we don't have too many of the, the kids. But we have a little object lesson for them and we decided we would let some of you adults do this object lesson too. And Les was begging that he would be able to be one of those who could do so. So, uh, <laughs> so I'll ask you to come on up, bring our, our little, our little box that we have. And this is just to help illustrate this whole thing of seeing what is meant, what is intended. Because this is what Jesus is saying. I'm giving you a teaching. I'm telling you to beware, beware of this. But they said, no, no, we hear it this way. We hear, oh, we forgot to take bread. We forgot to, see, they got bread in their mind. It said, we forgot to take bread. They realize, oh, we don't have bread. And then Jesus says this. And because Jesus says this with this on their mind, this is what they hear. This is what they see. And it's not what Jesus intended. This is not the, the way that Jesus wanted to go with this. In fact, he continues to go on. In fact, I didn't, I didn't put it in there, so I'll have to read it from off the screen. Let's go over to verse uh, 16, I think that's where we left off. And they reason among themselves, saying, it is because we have no bread. So they hear what Jesus says, but they reason among themselves, well, we, because we didn't bring bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Because that word, that meaning comes out in the word blepo now. Is your heart still hardened? Remember Paul was talking about the hardening of their hearts? That they couldn't see things? Go on to verse 18. Having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? Having eyes do you not blepo? Do you not see? Can you not perceive this? And having ears do you not hear? No, you're hearing the wrong things. You're not hearing the right... You, the Pharisees heard the words that Jesus spoke, but they did not hear the right things. It's very easy to do that. And do we have a... Is that the, the end of that? Nope, keep going then. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. Now look at this next one. And also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? Now, we spent a whole Sunday on that before. We're not going to spend it on this one. If you're really curious, I can go dig that one on up. But uh, he says to him, look, why don't you understand this? We fed 5,000 from how many loaves? We've, we fed 4,000 from how many loaves? Don't you get it? And I'm sure they're saying, uh-huh, no. <laughs> no. And most people today still don't understand all that he was trying to teach them there. But uh, we need some volunteers here to come on up and Miss Alyssa. I know everybody else calls her Miss Allie. I don't. And she already knows I'm not changing. So she's accepted it. I've accepted that you all call her something different than I do. That's alright. You want to come on up and run this? We, gotta, we have to change out the little things that are that are there and to, to do such. So I'll be thinking, who else wants, beside Les wants to come up here and try this? All right, they are they are working on some more things to to bring us up. So we wanted we wanted to give you something that you can visually see and understand the concept of seeing something clearly. Okay, he's going to be behind it all there, huh? <laughs> 
Okay. All right. So the idea here with this is that he has to, to feel around inside the box and try and figure out what's in there. You all can see clearly. He cannot. So let's see how he does. Mind your way from... You got sprinkles? You got sprinkles. I'm going to take right. a guess. There we sprinkles. go. That's so scary, huh? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. A little tougher to hide it from the people that are yes. doing, the, doing the viewing. Yeah. All right, what we got? Almost looks like a baby in there. Now she's going to reach in and try and get it. What is it? Oh, what is it? Wet? <laughs> 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 I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? It's wet. I don't want to go back in there. <laughs> what, you got, what is it? That could hurt you. No harm will come oh, to any... Don't worry, little girl. Your mama might put something gross in your hand, but your papa uh, will protect you. Yeah, he's, he gave me gross. <laughs> Why did you do things that are not slimy? Well, I didn't pick the things. Show it to her. Last one. Yeah. Potato. Yeah. All right. Any adult wants to come up and try it out? Nobody, huh? Got a volunteer? All right. We got missing toe coming up. Let's see what we got. All right. Everybody else can see clearly. She cannot. Christmas tree thingy. Uh -huh. <laughs> Decoration. Decoration. Is that what it is? Oh, oh that's too easy. 
<laughs> she got it. She got it. First guess. All right. All right. Well, thank you. That shows you that, that sometimes you know you can have a little object lesson like that. And all right, we can see clearly. It's obvious to us what it is. But if you don't have your full visual senses coming in, it's hard for you to to register that. This is what they're running into here. They don't have their full spiritual senses because something else has kicked in. Something else is coming in and giving them some things. You could basically say this. I put this in your outline for you. You could say they were blinded to the truth spoken. They were blinded to the truth spoken because they saw something entirely different. Something that Jesus was not intending. If you all saw the cartoon when Lucy says, you mind if I call my brother? And she shouts out real loud and he says, well, I kind of thought you meant that on the phone. You know, sometimes we hear what people say, but they mean something different than we heard. This is what happens with, with Jesus. So in this first story that goes on before we had this healing, they didn't see things clearly, did they? Wasn't quite there. They, I put this in your outline too. They heard, but they did not understand. They heard, heard the exact same words that we read in the scripture, but they didn't understand. Just like the blind man. He saw, but he didn't clearly see. He couldn't make out the details. They heard Jesus' warning, but they couldn't make out the details of that. They were like the man who could see, but not clearly enough to understand everything that was going on. Verse 27, jump on down there. This is the story that comes after the miracle. And Jesus and his disciples went out of the towns, went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, You will remember this conversation very well. Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. So he saw that clearly. Everyone else is looking at Jesus. They're seeing the same things. They're hearing the same teaching. All that is the same. But the disciples look upon all this and say, Well, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. Everyone else is looking at, Well, you're Elijah. You're a prophet. You're this something else. But because they see this, see, they, they received, they, they had spiritual eyes, they had spiritual perception, they saw something that other people didn't see. Because they saw certain things, he goes on, and he begins to teach them some other, some other things. So I put this in your outline, on, on this they saw clearly Though others who had seen the miracles and teachings from Jesus came to unclear conclusions. They're not sure. Well, he might be Elijah. Well, he might be a prophet. But on this, they saw it clearly. Do they not? They see clearly. They're seeing all the things the other people are, but they're seeing clearly. We come to the conclusion that you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. 
He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So he's saying this in front of all the twelve. But Peter pulls him aside, not openly, pulls him aside privately. And he says, uh, began to rebuke him. You shouldn't ought to teach this way. You're the Messiah. You shouldn't be teaching that you're going to die, that all these things are going to happen. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he focuses on the disciples, he rebuked Peter. So he's out there, he's looking at all them. Maybe he's thinking, you all had the same things. That he's just moistened it. I want you all to understand this. And then he looks to Peter. Focuses on Peter. After he saw the disciples, he then focuses on Peter. And he rebuked Peter saying, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Because they saw who Jesus was. Because of what they saw. Because of what they're able to see. Jesus taught them more truth to expand their vision and understanding. Because you have seen this, you are now ready to hear this. And he begins to teach them about his death and resurrection. They weren't ready, apparently, to, uh, to hear what Jesus was saying. Now, that's in your outline. This is not. The opposite of this is also true. If you receive false revelation, you will be open to greater false understanding. Revelation is progressive, but so is false revelation. If I receive a false revelation and take it as true, I am open to more false revelation. Only a handful of times I've ever talked to you about this, but there once in a while we've had a minister get off and begin to receive false revelation. Sometimes even ones that I've liked. As soon as they start, and I can tell they've received false revelation, not just a mis- their misunderstanding, not that they're not seeing something clearly, but they have received, I can tell from the words how they talk about it, they received false revelation. When you start receiving false revelation, I turn you off. I don't listen. I do not need to hear your false revelation because you receive false revelation. You will then be open to more false revelation. And I don't need to go down that road. There's a difference between someone misunderstanding and speaking that and someone who receives false revelation. So I'm, I am careful about that. But here it is. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus, he, he's, look, you're taking the wrong stuff. Someone gave you revelation about what I'm supposed to do. God gave you revelation of who I am, but someone else came along and gave you revelation on what I am supposed to do. I told you what I'm supposed to do. Someone else came along and gave you revelation on what I'm supposed to do, and you listened to it. And then you spoke from it. And he rebukes him sharply on this. Be careful about false revelation. See, Peter saw things clearly. You are the Christ. Now he sees things, they're getting kind of cloudy. But Peter thinks, get this, but Peter thinks he sees things better than Jesus. (laughs) False revelation has a way of doing that to you. It makes you think you know better than everyone else and you know better than God. That's what it can do. Look what it did to the devil. So Peter received true revelation as to what and who Jesus was. But then he received false revelation as to what Jesus would do. This false revelation caused Peter to speak. And he said detrimental things. Well, we get here to the end. Let's wrap this up. Just because we got saved, received a touch from God, doesn't mean we see or clearly understand all things spiritual. I think this story... 
was put smack in the middle of these two stories because what was being illustrated is this. In the first part, they did not see clearly. Jesus spoke clearly, but they did not see clearly. In the second part, they saw clearly who he was, but then when he began to teach them more and go further with it, they became cloudy. Sometimes, folks, just because you got born again, just because you're saved, does not mean that you see all things clearly. Just because you received a touch from God, just because you got saved, does not mean that everything you see spiritually is true. You've got to press in. And you've got to find out. And sometimes God needs to come along again and say, all right, you need revelation on this. You did good up to his point. Now we've got to help you out with this, this next part. Peter needs some help with the next part of the revelation. And he'll eventually get some. He'll eventually receive some. Jesus was giving it to him, but he was not necessarily receiving it. Let me read a verse of Scripture to you. This comes from John. I wrote the reference down so that you can go back and see this later on. John chapter 9, verse 39. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see... Want to take a guess as to what word does he use there? Blepo. May see... Blepo. And those who see... Blepo may be made blind. So I'm coming in here so that those who do not see may see. And those who see, or at least think they see, become blind. That's a, that's a word. He's just taking that and he's just showing you. This is the spiritual connotations of this word. This is where we're taking this word now. We're talking about spiritual stuff that you see. And when we see this man, he didn't quite see things clearly. I need to understand that sometimes I'm looking at the Bible and I'm not seeing things clearly. I'm not seeing things quite that right. I know this is true, especially if I studied the Bible and I come out with two different views. Have you ever studied the Bible and come out with two different views? If you have two different views, I will guarantee you this. You do not have full light. It is impossible, impossible to have two views from Scripture on any topic and be right. How many have ever heard the people, the Calvinists and the Arminians? Most people know Calvinists. How many people do not know an Arminian is? Opposite of Calvin. Basically, Calvin came out and he t- came out with his things, you know, the eternal, um, everybody is, everybody's saved or once saved, always, all that sort of stuff he came out with. It's been a long time since I've studied it. If I spent some time with it, I could tell you what TULIP was. TULIP stands for his, his uh, things that he believes. So, uh, the Arminians came out and they said, well, we believe the opposite. And so they came out with theirs, anti-tulip, because tulip is just the abbreviation for what they, they do. So they basically anti-tulip and they basically went the opposite direction of everything that the Calvinists did. Calvinists have verses of Scripture to support why they believe eternal salvation and all the different things they believe. They have verses of Scripture for that. Arminians have verses of Scripture too. Now, if you want to put a face on these things, how many know what a Baptist church looks like? That's Calvinist. How many know what a Wesleyan church looks like? Methodist church. That's Arminian. Those are the two schools of thought. If you, I have spent time in both. <laughs> so I've had both aspects of it, but that's basically the, the doctrine of all those ones that have come. Don't, don't bother messing with all You don't really need to. Just find out what's right and study it and you'll be, you'll be fine. But if you're going to have both of those views, if you're going to be on the Calvinistic side, you have to ignore certain scriptures. 
if you're going to be on the Arminia side, you have to ignore certain scriptures. If you're in a place where you have to ignore scripture in order to hold on to your, your thing, you don't have the complete light yet. You're missing some stuff. I knew this when I was a post-tribber. I believed that, that, uh, that tribulation was coming after, not before. Or the, or the rapture was coming after the tribulation, not before. I believed it. I went to a Baptist college who is stern on this. Taught it in their, and I could argue every, I could argue every single one under the table. No one wanted to argue with me on it because they knew they would lose. Because I knew their argument better than they did their argument. And I knew my argument better than, than they did, of course, too. But I was wrong. But you see, when I was going through it, and I held to that, I also knew there are certain scriptures that I don't have an answer for. And it wasn't until uh, some years later a pastor I had did a series on it and he asked the same questions I asked and didn't have answers for. He had answers. Helped me out with that. It didn't take me longer than a, an hour or two. I dropped it. Oh, now I see. This is the view that is for both. This, both of them come together and I learned that it is impossible. Just like Paul wrote, it is impossible for the rapture to happen after. It has to happen first has to happen first. So once I saw that, I said, see now I'm just, there's only one opinion. You can throw any verse of scripture you want at me and I understand how it fits into that. If you are ever in a place where there are two views and you're not sure which one the Bible is telling you, you are just in a place you don't have the full light. That's all. You can hang on to whatever it is that you want to hang on to because that's this is the best I know, but always stay open to more light coming in because more light's going to come. You're praying, yes God, God give me wisdom on this. You pray the Ephesians prayer. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3. For God to open up the, uh, the knowledge of Him into you. Pour it into me. Oh God, I just need your knowledge. I need your wisdom. I need your understanding. And He'll give it to you. If there are two views that come out of Scripture, one of them is wrong and it's very possible both of them are. I knew that and so I held to that. But you've got to be careful. You get a hard heart. No, my way, this is the way it is. That's what the Israel was in the wilderness. You don't want to do that. This blind man, he was seeing things, but you see, he knows that oh, this is what I'm seeing, but it's not right. I know it's not right. This is how you ought to be. If you begin to see something because a doctor comes and tells you something or some kind of other report comes and it tells you something, no, I'm not seeing that because the Word of God tells me this. And you hang on to what the Word of God is telling you. No, I'm not seeing that. I see clearly what the Word of God has told me about, about seeing. And so that's what you do. That's why this is important for us to understand. Jesus is saying, all right, I'm glad that you understand that you're not seeing things correctly. Now, let me get on here. Let me lay hands on you again. I don't need to spit again. <laughs> we just need to lay hands on you again. And he received his sight and he saw things perfectly clear. He saw things as they were supposed to be seen. Your senses will mess you up. Be careful of them. I put a few things down in here. You can write these down. I gave you room for them if you want to. But when pride rises up, it can cause me to see myself as better than others. When pride rises up, it can cause you to see yourself as better than others. I have to let the Word clarify my vision with humility. Pride will mess you up that way. My past hurts can rise up and make me not trust other people or not see the good in them. I have to let the Word clarify my vision with forgiveness 
in the view of how much God forgave me. When anger rises up and causes my mouth to speak hurtful things, I let the Word of God clarify my vision, renew my love walk, and change my speech. When I keep falling into the same sin and see myself as a failure and no good, I let the Word of God clarify my vision and see myself as overcoming instead of being overcome. The devil wants to get your vision messed up. He wants to get your blepo off. He wants you to perceive things that are not true, that are not according to the Word of God. And it can happen. It can even happen, look at this, it can happen to someone that Jesus touched their eyes to see and still they did not see clearly. But that's all right. You know what Jesus is ready to do? He's ready to touch you again. Put it this way. Look at this in the, in the view of the story. Jesus touches him and says, what do you see? Jesus touched his disciples and said, what do you see? And what did they say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, that's good. That's good. I'm glad you see it. And then he began to teach them some other things, but then they didn't see clearly. And he had to come back and act them again. Can you see how this fits in the context? You may have a wrong view right now, but it's okay. Keep pursuing God. God, I, I know I don't quite have clarity on this. Just because I'm born again doesn't mean I see everything clearly. But I'm going to press into you. I'm going to pursue you because I know you will give me clarity on this. And I will understand. There are some things you just need to say, I see a little bit, but I know I'm not understanding that fully. And then you ask, like James chapter 1 says, He who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally. And God will give it to you. Don't create any doctrines that Jesus needs to heal you twice. Understand what was going on here. It's the it's the vision, it's the scene. Would y'all stand up with me? Over to God. We're gonna have our communion here this morning. I'm sorry for the, the coolness in the atmosphere here. We've had the heater running constantly, it has not shut off since uh, I don't know, six o'clock this morning. We just had the here the heater service people they came out and they serviced it and it worked fine last week, but it is not working very fine today. So we have to have them come on back out and get that checked out. out. But it has been, you've heard, it hasn't shut off. <laughs> it just keeps on going. And it is, for some reason, just struggling. We're not sure why on that one because it's now colder this week than it was last week. But uh, we will get that fixed up here and have that going. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus knows they don't see everything clearly just yet. But I'm going to teach this to them. I'm going to lay this out to them. Because once they get through the resurrection, once they get through Pentecost, once they get through all those things, they will understand, thank you, they will understand what is being done. And so he went on through and he did this, even though he knows you don't understand yet what's, what's going on, but you will. Do you know that you as a Christian can see and experience things and God wanted you to see and experience those things, even though he says you're not going to understand it all just yet. But 
You will. You will. Sometimes I need to just look at some of the things that are going on in my life and say, God, I don't know why that's going on in my life. But I will not distrust you. I will not doubt you. And I know that the day is coming and I will understand what is going on. You will show it to me. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They didn't understand what this meant. And they wouldn't understand for a little while. But the day came that not only did they understand it, but Peter, Paul, James, they're writing about it. Luke, they wrote about it. They didn't understand it then, but they would understand it later. And even today, people go through communion and they don't understand. The body is for our healing. The blood is for our forgiveness. For our redemptive price that is paid. They're two different things. Sometimes we try and jumble them all into one. But it was two different things. As we eat together, let's remember, Jesus let his body be broken for us. Not like with no bones broken, but he let it be beaten and bruised so that we wouldn't have to bear that. Let's eat together and remember. At the end of supper, we took the cup. This represents the blood of the new cup. The old covenant, blood of bulls, goats, and sheep, and lambs. That only covered up sin. My blood washed it away. Up until this night, they did not yet understand the teaching he did on the death and the resurrection. He just taught them again the week before. And they said they didn't understand. But they would. So we drink together. Let's make sure, make sure we understand. There is nothing we're adding to the work of Jesus just receive what he did. The strength of God. God. Father, I thank you. So many things like communion can occur in our life. Maybe we don't have the full revelation of it yet. But the day is coming. And we will have the full understanding, the full revelation. To know why those things have gone on. I thank you that that clarity is coming. We may not see something clear now, but we know better than to distrust you. The man may have seen men walking, or men like trees walking, but he knew men are not trees. He knew not to receive that revelation. And then clarity came. Father, I thank you that you do the same for us. And we give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, glory to God. Hope you enjoyed this this time through Mark chapter 8. Oh, and uh, some of you may have already gone up there and seen it, but uh, uh, Nikolai had uh, made mention of it. He sent me over a link to um, a teaching series with Charles Caps, And so I went through it. There's three parts to it. The first two parts are different from what we had before. Remember, some time ago, we went through a whole series that he did on the on confession in our words. This, the first two are different. And if you go up on YouTube, 
you're going to see in the description, I gave you a little breakdown, some quotes that come out of each one, and you can go up there and check those things out if you want to. I like one of the things that he was saying in the second one. I'll read this to you. Faith is a substance of things not seen. What things you desire are, are yet unseen in your life. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. You all know that one. Look at this. Fear is the substance of things not desired. I thought, wow, that's really true. I'm afraid because I don't want it. I don't want the thing. But there's a whole lot more on there. And I uh, uh, hope you're going up there and enjoy it. There's, there's three. The third part is very much a, rep- a repetition of the ones before. But don't, don't uh, hesitate to go through it. I went through all the repetition of all his teachings over the years. I read his books, which are right along the same lines of what he has taught. Because sometimes you just need to get refreshed on that because our speaking gets off. And he's a great one to bring us back and to pull us in that way. Wednesday we're in, in Nehemiah chapter 9. We already gave you the stuff of what was going on in Nehemiah 8, Nehemiah 9 this week. Have a great week. Thanks for coming and joining us on this uh, not so nice, uh, nice of a weather day. Bless some of the people before you go.